No privilege to be back to worship God this morning. Um, and before we do, let's, let's commit our time to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to come and worship again. Lord, we thank you for an open house of God to come to. We thank you, Lord, we can come in peace, knowing that we don't have the fear of persecution just around the corner. Lord, we praise you for that. Lord, we don't want to just be here out of routine, so we pray that our hearts will be uh, put in a right, a right frame, and that, Lord, we will be able to come here for the right reasons, to worship you. Because, Lord, you are worthy of all the praise that we could ever give. And so fill our hearts with the joy and love of God this morning, we pray. And in every aspect of our worship, Lord, have all the glory. And uh, we pray that um, that you, you help us each in our worship this morning. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, three notices for you this morning. Um, the first is uh, communion is this afternoon for those that are baptised and know and love the Lord. And that's at three o'clock. Um, home groups are on Thursday evening, um, and that the subject will it will be linked with this evening's sermon uh, that Mark will be preaching. Um, if you're part of a home group, your leader will no doubt be in touch. And if you'd like to be part of a group, then um, speak to one of the elders, and they will help uh, help with that. Uh, finally, uh, the quiz night is on the 17th of March. There are now flyers available, uh, so feel free to um, to pick some up in the in the foyer. And share with your friends and your family. Uh, I hear the time is running out and that quite a few teams have already been entered. Um, so you might have to act fairly swiftly um, to secure your spot. Well, let's uh, begin our service this morning with a, with a hymn. And uh, we are sing- uh, the, the subject for this morning is uh, Jesus being the light of the world. We're carrying on in the I Am series. And John's bringing I Am the light of the world to us this morning. Um, and so um, we... We, we start with that, with that very theme. Light of the world, you stepped down into darkness. Opened my eyes, let me see beauty that made this heart adore you. Hope of a life spent with you. Let's stand and sing.
let's turn in uh, in our Bibles this morning to John chapter 8, and we're going to read the first uh, 12 verses. The Gospel according to John chapter 8, and we're starting in verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, now in the law Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now we're going to flick forward one chapter to John chapter 9, and again starting at verse 1. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me, while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Well, we're going to sing again and um, we're going to sing a well-known hymn, Amazing Grace, which again speaks of um, the blindness that we've just read of of that of that blind man uh, in our reading. Um, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Now after the hymn, um, Josh has got a children's talk, so kids, come to the front.
Morning, guys. Morning. So, I've got a question, which is, has anyone been worried about anything this week? Has anyone been worried? A couple of hands going up a little bit. I don't, be, I don't want to be too doom and gloom on a Sunday morning, but can you give me, you don't have to tell me what you're worried about, can you give me an example, some of the things we could be worried about? Yeah? You could get worried about schoolwork, absolutely. Jess? Did you say sports? Get worried about sport, yeah, if you've got to join in with sport, you don't like it. Um, I once did the, uh, I once did a sports day race, and I thought I was doing really well, and then halfway through I just fell over. So, um, yeah, I didn't do any more after that, okay. Um, what, you're gonna say something? You, yeah, you could be worried about, um, sad things that have happened in your family, yeah, okay. So, being worried about things, I get worried about things. Everyone gets worried about things sometimes. And of course, if you're worried about things, then it's nice to talk to somebody. You can talk to your parents and things like that. But do you know what? In the Bible, there's a lot of helpful stuff that God says to us in the Bible. And hopefully, we're going to have a Bible verse up here to have a look at. Aha! Now, this is a bit of a favourite Bible verse for me. I think it's a really good one. There's lots of good ones. And there's lots of good ones about this. But this is this is a good one. So... Does anyone want to read this? Excellent, thank you. Give all your worries to him because he cares for you. Now, who's him? It's God, yeah. I think actually if we click for... Yeah, it's going to change. Excellent. Give all your worries to God because he cares for you. So how, how can we give our worries to God? If I've got my worries here, how do I give them to him? Go on. You can pray. Yeah, you can talk to God. You can tell him about what you're worried about. And you can just say, God, I want to give this worry to you. And it's not just that we're, we're saying that we can do that. He is asking us to do that. Which sounds great, but sometimes you might be worried about something and then you might say, God, I'm worried about this. Please take this worry. And we might still feel worried. Sometimes we hear something and it might kind of go in the ear and it kind of makes it into the brain in the middle. And then we might understand it, but then sometimes for me it just goes out the ear and I forget about it. Or it doesn't make it down into my heart and it doesn't feel like it's true. So I've heard it, but it doesn't feel like it's true. So... I thought of a little way that we could try, if you're worried about something and you pray about it, I thought of a way that we could try to make it feel um, more like it's true for you. Now, this is just a little thing, and I thought, I, I tried this out this week. So if, if you're worried about something, one thing you could do is this. You could get a bit of paper, don't have to do it like this, but you could get a bit of paper and you could write down those things. I'm just writing down some things. I'm writing down the things I'm worried about. Now, I'm not going to have time to write down all of them because there's a lot of things for me. I've written them down. Now, here are my worries. And what does God say that I can do with them? I can give them to him. So, I can sort of say, once I've prayed, I can say, God, I've, I've got my worries here and I'm going to give them to you. So, you could go and do anything with this. You could go and hide it in a really big book on the bookshelf that no one reads, like the dictionary. Or, what, what, what I did is I wrote it down and then I went and threw it in the bin. And I just saw those worries going in the bin. 
And that didn't solve all of my problems, but it was, it was my little way of trying to think, God has told me that I can give him my worries. And that was a little way. It wasn't magic. It was just a little thing that I tried to do to see, how can I give those worries to God? Now, another question. Why does it say we can give those worries to God? What does it say up there? Yeah, go on, Annie. Because he cares for us. How good is that? How good is that? This is, and this is, you know, all the Bible is God's words. Do you know that? All of the Bible is God speaking to us. So I think if we go ahead one more, we can just tweak this a little bit because somebody has written this down for God, but this is God's word speaking to us. So, sorry, no, that's great, that's great. So I was just, um, (laughs) so it says, give all your worries to me because that's what God says to us. It's not just give it to God. God says to us, give your worries to me because I care for you. Now, when I read that verse, I think that is wonderful. I think it's wonderful that God cares for me. And, and it's like, it's a bit like parents with their children. They don't want them to have, you know, they don't want them to fall and hurt their knee. And if they fall and hurt their knee, they want to go and pick them up. Or if they've got some problem, parents just want to take it away from them. And when I look at this, this is what I see. That's God being like, a really good parent to us and he's saying I care for you I don't want you to have this worry and hold on to it you can give it to me and I think that is absolutely wonderful I'm so grateful that God is like that that he cares for us so two things what can we do with our worries (laughs) you could make a fire and burn them you could do that to remind you that we can give them to God and why can we give them to God he cares for us. Those are two very good things to remember. I hope that they've made it into your head. I hope they'll stay there for a little while and I hope it'll make it down to your heart as well. Thank you for listening guys. Thank you Josh. (coughs) Message there for us all I think. Let's uh, bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you care enough to uh, to hear our prayers. That Lord, you want to hear from us. Indeed, Lord, you want us to be part of your family. And uh, Father, we are so encouraged by that the verse that Josh has just um, mentioned to the children. And um, Lord, we we do tend to bottle up a lot of worries and carry them on our own so often, and um, forfeit that privilege of prayer. And we thank you, Lord, that you do care and that despite our failings and shortcomings day to day, yet, Father, you care enough to uh, want to hear our worries. And so help us to take, uh, make the most, Lord, of that wonderful privilege that we have to bring all of our worries to you. Uh, for nothing is too hard for you, Lord. Nothing is too, uh, nothing is too small even for you to deal with. But Lord, we, so we place our lives into your hands this morning and pray that you will, uh, will take our worries, that Lord, we will have the, the faith to tr- entrust you with all of our problems and cares. And Father, as we come to worship you this Sunday morning, we, we thank you for this great privilege. And, uh, Lord, you are, you are, we forget just how great and how big you are. We thank you, Lord, that Despite being so big and so mighty, you care about the small things in our lives. The things that no one else cares about. The things that we don't even tell others. And uh, Father, truly you are, you are great and, and worthy to be praised. And Lord, we thank you so much for the wonderful gift of Jesus Christ. 
Lord, we, we hear it mentioned in church every single time we're here and we, we pray, Lord, that we'll be kept from uh, being numb and indifferent to the things that we hear. But Lord, make it alive to us. Help us to truly understand and appreciate the depth and the wonder of your great sacrifice in sending Jesus Christ to this earth. Lord, you know that we, sh- we fall short every day, that Lord, we all make mistakes. But we thank you that, Lord, Father, you are ready to forgive. And uh, so, Lord, we pray this morning that we uh, that you will give us a truly repentant heart over the sins of this week and on our lives to date. Lord, we, we pray for your forgiveness. And, Lord, you know that um, we have sinned on a personal level, but Lord, also, Lord, on a collective uh, level as well. We think about as, as a nation, Lord, we've... we've uh, we don't behave in a way that um, fits in line with your word. And Lord, we, we, don't, uh, we don't carry out all of your commands. Indeed, so much of what goes on, Lord, is completely against what you have commanded us. And so we pray, Lord, for mercy upon our country, that, Lord, you will intervene and that you will have your way and you will bring us as a nation back to the word of God. And that, Lord, you will make us a truly Christian country again. Help us, Lord, with in our lives as we go about our daily routines and all the situations that we face. Help us to be um, only proud of one thing, and that being one of Jesus' children. I pray, Lord, that you will help us to not be ashamed of Jesus, but take every opportunity that we have to share the news of life uh, with others. And, Lord, we thank you that you, are, you stand ready to forgive, and that there is no sin that cannot be forgiven by you. And that, Father, through you we have... Uh, through Jesus, we have um, we have the solution uh, to all of our problems. Indeed, Lord, we have uh, reconciliation with you, our Father. We thank you, Lord, that you you desire us that Lord you you would that everyone would be saved. And so we pray for hearts that are turning to you again. And Lord, help us to be good witnesses um, of your grace and to and to point others to Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for the words of life that you give us and the, the hope that we have through Jesus Christ. That, Lord, we can one day be with you in heaven. And, uh, Lord, we, I pray that each one of us here this morning will be prepared, will be made ready um, for the great day when you come again. And, Lord, you know that our, our destination is already set. Lord, we will, you know where we, will end, where we will end up. And, Lord, I pray that this morning that we will be um, searching after you like never before. And that, uh, that each one of us here this morning might truly know in our hearts a peace with you through Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, as we come to head towards Easter as well, and we think of Jesus' death on the cross, I pray that it won't just come and go and us um, know that it's coming, know what Easter's about, but not really considering it and appreciating it. Because, Lord, this is the only, uh, this because of Easter, that's the only way that we can be a part of your family. And so, Lord, we rejoice in that. Um, but it also makes us um, uh, think upon Jesus' death and, and exactly what he went through on our behalf. And, Lord, make, it, that should make us eternally grateful for all that you have done. Father, we thank you for this time together to worship now. And as John um, opens up the word of God to us, we, uh, we pray that you will open our eyes and our understanding. I pray, Lord, that you will free our minds from distractions, cares and worries that, uh, that are so naturally uh, crossing our mind. Uh, Lord, you know that we, lead, uh, we all lead uh, busy and stressful lives in one way or another. And so we pray that, Lord, you will set aside this hour in our minds and our hearts that we might truly honour and worship you. And, uh, Lord, so we, we thank you for it. We thank you for all that's gone on this morning already. We pray for your blessing upon Sunday School and Rooted and all that's been um, happening there. And that, Lord, 
this might be for uh, the shaping of your people and drawing souls to Christ. So, Lord, as, 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 we, as we turn now to worship, please focus our hearts and our minds and uh, we pray that we will give our all in our worship of you for, Lord, you are truly worthy to be praised and we can't quite comprehend just how holy and great you are. Lord, indeed, even the angels bow down before you and cover their faces because you are so holy and, Lord, even more so for us. Uh, we, so we bow ourselves before you now and we commit this whole, uh, this whole hour of worship to your hand and pray for your blessing upon each of us in our, in our worship this morning and in our our lives uh, in general. We pray all this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, following our next hymn, John will be um, exploring that uh, passage with that we read earlier. And so we're going to sing again uh, in Christ alone. And again, just point out a couple of verse one, he is my light, my strength, my song. And in verse three, there in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. So as we focus our minds towards that whole theme of Jesus being the light of the world, let's sing, in Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, the solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. Let's stand when the music starts.
uh, we come to another magnificent claim of Jesus. We can sometimes get too used to the magnificent claims that we're looking at in these few Sunday mornings. It's in John 8 and verse 12. Let me read it to you. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We use uh, imagery like this, don't we, quite widely, the light and dark themes. People talk about being in a dark place where life is difficult and maybe life is a mess. They talk about being in the dark, not really knowing what's happening, a bit clueless about things, maybe about life itself. People talk of light bulb moments when things become clearer. They have good thoughts and ideas. I talk about somebody being a ray of sunshine, bringing cheer and warmth. They talk about a, a bright future, which uh, pictures hope and anticipation. We use it widely, and perhaps as we think of such things, we can begin to feel something of the significance of what Jesus says when he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The imagery is used in other religions. In Hinduism, you have Diwali, the festival of lights. The Jews have the Hanukkah festival. The Jedi Knights talk about the dark side. But none of all this can compare with the extraordinary claims of this verse where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Firstly, this morning, we're just going to look at the verse, think about it a little bit more and move on to other things that come from it. It is another amazing verse. Look at its focus. I am the light of the world. Jesus himself. It brings the focus on him. It is an extraordinary claim. If it wasn't true, it would be an outrageous claim. The Pharisees kick off from then on in response to what Jesus says in the following verses. Jesus is so central to this claim and to others. In fact, it's more than just pointing at Jesus. When Jesus uses this frame, I am, it has a lot of echoes and baggage, good baggage, significant baggage. In the Old Testament, the Lord revealed himself as I am that I am. And as in the Gospel of John, Jesus seven times picks this phrase, I am, and says something about it. It has echoes of that. Such that by the end of this chapter, when Jesus, in verse 58, says this, before Abraham was I am, 
they're looking to get rid of Jesus because of the claims he's making. The focus, I am. The quality, I am the light. Light with all that conveys, all the glory, all the positiveness, all the brightness, all the life-giving qualities. Our world would not exist without the sun. The, the solar system is centred around light. This was fresh in their minds because they had just had the Feast of the Tabernacles. That is in chapter 7. And part of the ceremony of the Feast of Tabernacles, which had lots of different aspects of it, was in the evening that four great oil lamps were, were lit in the temple area and they shone so brightly that it said that all of the four courts in Jerusalem were lit up. And Jesus says, I am the light. The Old Testament anticipated a Messiah who would be the fulfilment of that light. Think of its uniqueness. I am the light of the world. Not I am a light of the world, but I am the light of the world, says Jesus in this saying. Think of the reach of what he says. I am the light of the world. Perhaps some of us were aware when we were younger of a a, a children's chorus, Jesus bids us shine and we're to reflect the light of Jesus or let it flow through us and it's you in your small corner and I in mine. Well, there's none of that here with Jesus himself. It's not in a small corner, but I am the light of the world. This is not a a bedside lamp. This is not a little flicker. This is not a Christmas tree. I am the light of the world. Which goes beyond lighting up the forecourts of Jerusalem. Something the world needed, something that was anticipated in the Old Testament. Isaiah 49 and verse 6. Talking of the coming Messiah, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. Notice the impact. I am the light of the world. It personally affects those who follow. There is a massive change for them. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is quite a statement, isn't it? It's an understatement to say that it's quite a statement. You're too used to it, perhaps. I'm too used to it. It's a ginormous verse. So we... Looked a little at the verse, but in thinking it through, I want to think a little bit more about the connections, to look at the connections. Often these great statements, if you like, are amplified by what happens around them. Uh, We've seen it draws a bit on the previous chapter of the Feast of the Tabernacles and the great lamps in the middle of Jerusalem. But there's two others that will help us to understand this and think it through for ourselves. One is what's shown by the blind man incident in the next chapter. We read some of it, the blind man incident in the next chapter. 
It involves a place in Jerusalem. And here it is. This is a photo we took about four years ago. Um, it's a place called the Pool of Siloam. It was excavated in 2004. Um, you can go into it if you follow through Hezekiah's tunnel, which is uh, me- uh, hundreds of metres of tunnel uh, that goes under Jerusalem and ref- is referred to elsewhere in the Bible. And then you come out at the southern end of Jerusalem in the city of David and you come out on what's been uncovered as the Pool of Siloam. It's, uh, it's bigger than that. The, the wall is the wall to the Greek Orthodox area and they haven't given permission for excavation. So you've just got a little slice of it and we, we paddled in it when we came through Hezekiah's tunnel. And there is the pool of Siloam. Jesus and his disciples are in Jerusalem and they pass a blind man. It becomes a point of discussion in chapter 9 and it's very enlightening actually on the whole question of suffering but we can't go there this morning. And then by the time we get to verse 5 in chapter 9 Jesus repeats his claim. As long as I am in the world I am the light of the world, he says. Then he anoints this blind man. And he sends him to this pool, the pool of Siloam, to wash in. And the man comes back seeing, verse 7. So he went and washed and came back seeing. He was born blind. We're told that at the start of the chapter, born blind from birth. We're told it in verse 20 of chapter 9. We know that this is our son. The parents are brought in as witnesses and he was born blind. And yet now he saw. Jesus confirms his claims by his actions. This is, if you like, the light of the world being demonstrated, being proven. The blind man realises that when we get to verse 32. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. It's proof of who he is, he says. So the blind man incident shows that Jesus is the light of the world. And people have found a similar experience themselves in an inner spiritual way since then. Sometimes dramatic, sometimes slow, and they see things that they never saw before. They understand things in a new way about themselves and about Jesus. Maybe that's happened to you. It's put in the words of some of our hymns, how sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ear. No, that's not the one I've got. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. And maybe you know the hymn, And Can It Be, which goes on fast, long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light, my chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose, went forth and followed thee. So it's shown by the blind man. So the sign is worked out. Jesus saying, I am the light of the world and this proves it. Um, It's also shown by the cheating lady. 
earlier in this chapter. We read the account, Luke read it for us in Luke chapter 8, and it comes just before this saying. Now this is a quite an interesting point for those who think more deeply and look into things. You, you may have noticed the footnote, and indeed uh, in the ESV it, 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 it contains a bit, the earliest manuscripts do not include 753 to 8 verse 11. It's one of the few passages where there is some question mark over where it should be placed in the Bible. There's remarkable consistency amongst the New Testament manuscripts. You're welcome to look into it, encourage you to look into it. The, the, the way in which we have records of New, New Testament manuscripts that go all the way back to first century, we've got fragments. We've got so many of them, much more than any other classic ancient document. But this is one passage where, uh, comparing the different manuscripts, there is uh, some uncertainty. Not so much uncertainty as to whether the event occurred. There doesn't seem to be a, a great doubt about that. But as to whether it should be here, because some of the older manuscripts don't have it here in John, they have it elsewhere in John. Uh, some, some or one has it in Luke. But I wonder if it was placed here by those who did place it here, whether it's John originally or, or others later on, because it so wonderfully illustrates the claim that then follows on. There's this lady, and she had messed up big time. Uh, She had cheated on her husband, and she'd been found out as guilty of adultery. There were those there keen to carry out justice. They had the rocks in their hands to do so. Uh, They asked Jesus for his verdict Jesus pauses and then he says in verse 7, chapter 8, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. From oldest to youngest, they go away without throwing their stones. And then see what Jesus says to this woman in verse 10. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Uh, This woman had been in darkness. She'd been unfaithful to God. She'd been unfaithful to her husband. Others, no doubt, have been affected. It's not saying it wasn't a serious matter or that she didn't do wrong. She had been, if you like, in darkness. And she encounters Jesus. And what's the outshot? The outshot is... Neither do I condemn you. She's cleared of the shame and the failure that she feels. The sadness of the the past, the guilt that's held against her. Jesus clears it, says, neither do I condemn you. And then he carries on. And from now on, go and sin 
know more. The way forward for her was to be different. She wasn't to repeat her mistakes. There was a new life to be lived. And she encounters the light of the world and these two things then follow on in the words of Jesus about her guilt and about the way forward. And this is what encountering the light of the world has done. This is what it is to no longer walk in darkness but to have the light of life. So I think this account before just beautifully magnifies the wonder of the statement that we're looking at this morning. You see it worked out in the life of this lady. And then, so what I want to come on to now is to look at the relevance and to think about how this is relevant for us. Because this is not just a grand saying of a wise prophet of the past This can have an impact on us personally. Maybe it has done so already. Maybe it is doing so at this time. Maybe it will do as you think about it this morning. Now our pathway is not exactly the same as this lady we've just looked at. But there are similarities The Bible makes clear that naturally we all walk in darkness. When Paul writes to the Christians at Ephesus in chapter 5 verse 8, he says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. When Peter's talking to a group of Christians in 1 Peter 2 verse 9, he says this, Who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. And our darkness involved a life which was a life of selfishness, maybe a life of bitterness, maybe a life of idolising pleasure, maybe a life of satisfying lusts wrongly. And when we encounter Jesus, when we trust him, when we follow him, there's a great change, there's a transformation that happens, we find forgiveness. The shame, the blame, the guilt. Neither do I condemn you. We're not condemned where it counts in the mind of God. Neither do I condemn you. For there is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus, it says elsewhere. Jesus has authority to forgive. He tells us in Mark chapter 2 and verse 10, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Sometimes the things in the past haunt us. Don't you find that? Don't you find as you look back that the things that stand out and they they still uh, make your conscience tremble. You still shudder at what you did. Uh, they, can, they can weigh us down. We can sometimes feel that surely we can't be forgiven of that or those or those things. Maybe we say, I can't forgive myself as I look back at it. Yet Jesus dies on the cross to take away sins. And if you call out to him in faith, 
You know that your sins are placed there and the accusations really are moved from you to Jesus, that he is the light of the world who brings forgiveness. Neither do I condemn you. Wow. Another aspect of it. In Jesus encountering the light of the world, we find what I've called newness. There's a phrase in Romans 6 verse 4 which talks about newness of life. A different direction. A new way forward. Not that we're perfect, not that we're not dogged with some of our old habits and weaknesses, but there is a a new way forward, there's a new direction, there's a new strength to live that way. She was told, go, from now on, go and sin no more. Uh, Make sure your way forward is one of repentance. Don't repeat the mistakes of the past. Let's let's go. Let's go. Let's leave them as history, and let's find a new way forward, which is going my way. Go and sin no more. And that is what happens when we encounter the light of the world. No longer walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And so this saying of Jesus tells us to to follow him. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What does that mean, to follow Jesus? Well, it it means you keep close to him, doesn't it? It means you trust in his leadership. It means you have a sense of relationship with him. That's what happens when you follow someone. It means you negotiate life with his help and direction. That is the new life going forward. It's a life following Jesus. It's a life trusting him as the saviour, as the person who forgives. That's the new life. So light has come into the world, the light of the world, a light that can be followed. And for us, the relevance this morning is saying, have you followed? Are you following? Will you follow the light of the world? Will you find forgiveness and newness? As we think of this, and as we think of what it says elsewhere in the Gospel of John, there's a couple of warnings which I want to just bring which will perhaps challenge us as to whether we are following the light of the world. One is that not all like the light. Not all like the light. John 3, verse 18, Jesus says this. Verse 19, of John chapter 3, sorry. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. This made me think back to something, oh, it was over 30 years ago now, 35, maybe more, 40 actually, thinking of it. Um, Just thinking of my 
uncle and aunt, who used, great uncle, great aunt, who used to come and uh, visit us on Saturday, um, Auntie Doris, Uncle Bob. Uh, remember, I picture them there in the living room with us, and um, sometimes it would be a sunny day, and our curtains would be pulled, and uh, Auntie Doris just couldn't understand this beautiful uh, blazing sunshine outside, and we got the curtains pulled. Why we got the curtains pulled? Well, because me and my brother were watching the sport. You couldn't see the screen very well if you had the curtains pulled back with the sun shining in. So it made obvious sense. We pulled the curtains because that's what we wanted to do. And we didn't want the lighting interfering with what was taking us up and what we wanted to do. And so the light stayed outside, and the curtains were pulled, and my great-auntie wasn't very happy about it. And it's a picture spiritually, isn't it? The light of the world has come. And not everybody wants the light of the world in their light, in their life. And the light of the world interferes with what they're focusing in, on, occupying and want to do. So it makes sense to them to shut the curtains and to keep the light out because it's going to stop us. And Jesus says, this is the judgment that light has come into the world and people have loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. A professor at Cambridge, Stephen Hawking, said in 2011, Heaven is a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. The Oxford professor, John Lennox, countered, Atheism is a fairy story for people afraid of the light. Are you keeping the light out? It's come, the light of the world. Because you don't want him to interfere with your life and what you want to do. Jesus says that's a a dangerous position to be in. So I pass it on as a warning. Not all like the light. And the second thing I want to pass on as we draw to an end is not all sees the moment Not all sees the moment. John 12, verse 35, Jesus returns to this light imagery. The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become the sons of the light. Seize the moment while I'm around, Jesus says. And a different way we need to be thoughtful about making sure we seize the moment where we hear about the light. Uh, picture the scene. Um, maybe it's a, a YP activity or holiday and there's been uh, quite a hike and people have gone there different ways and uh, Some have got a bit lost in the outback in the woods, a long way from home, and uh, it's getting a bit darker. In fact, uh, people have got a bit worried, and the search parties are out, or at least the leaders, maybe more than the leaders are out, and they're trying to track down the young people in the forest, or this young person, and uh, the dusk has come, and, and, and it's got dark. And you you don't know where you are. And you feel quite sort of threatened and daunted and worried about the situation. 
Um, a, a, a torch can be seen coming closer to you, coming along one of the main pathways, calling out, calling out your name, calling out the names of the group of the missing, getting closer. And, and, and you think, I reckon I can get back on my own. I'm not sure I need the help of this person. The person, the main path comes quite close, perhaps 40, 50 metres away, calling out. The light is there, the light that you can follow to a point of safety. You stay put. The person goes on down the main track and you can see the torchlight get dim and disappear in the distance. You haven't seized the moment. And sadly, many are like that in terms of the light of the world. And they hear the light of the world. The, the light of the world, if you like, comes close. They hear a message like this morning, or you hear a message this morning about the light of the world and, and, and leaving the path of darkness and following the light of life. But they stay put and they don't follow and they go their own way. And the light passes. They're left in a place of darkness. And the Bible would say they're heading to a place of outer darkness. So as we've looked a little this morning at this magnificent verse and thought through it, we've had it amplified by what surrounded it, its connections with the blind man as sort of proof of the claim of Jesus as the lady who becomes a wonderful illustration of what Jesus does in people's life. As we're reminded that through Jesus we can find forgiveness and we can find newness. Will you follow? Let me read the claim again to finish. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. There's a bit to think about there, especially at the end, so I'll just allow quiet as we do some time for a minute or so before we come to our last song. Just a, a moment or so for you to think, perhaps pray in response to what you've heard. Well, we finish with a song, a song of somebody who could write about this change that had happened in their life. I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way. Let's sing our last song.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful teaching, this wonderful truth that Jesus, the light of the world, has come. Encourage our hearts with what we've heard this morning and if we're still in darkness, we pray that you might draw us to the light of the world. Amen.